The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. What's your love language? Do you guys know? <laughs> I like pointing. I love trips. Trips. Love that. Experience. Mine might be acts of service. Acts of service. Like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to bake you something. Betty bakes stuff all the time. It's not like a gives threat. <laughs> well, it's because she always gives us something. baked goods, and like I'm gonna oh, return okay. the favor. Right. I'm gonna do what, what baked do goods good. do you make? Oh, my favorite things to bake take forever. Okay, right. macarons. Oh, that's Ooh, notoriously that's different. Okay, yeah. I have no flexing hate. real hard. Right now. <laughs> the macarons so hard to make. I'm so impressed that you can make them. I've never had one that was like yes, delectable. But you know, Am the I thing getting the wrong ones. Uh, now Riley's just fishing for macarons at this point. Yeah, I'm like, I've never actually tried them. <laughs> so maybe next week we'll have a taste test for macarons. Okay, so how long does it take? I mean, for me, it takes pretty much the whole day or okay. like half the day. But the thing is about macarons, and I think it's the same way with like, I like to make bread too. Okay. The thing about macarons is that the first batch always sucks. Yeah. And then you sort of figure out how your oven is going to do or like what your oven is doing today, if the humidity in the air is okay, if you need to let them rest longer, and then the second and third batches are way better. Wow. So I'll make like a ton and then eat all of the failures like the first batch, but then everybody thinks I'm really good at making them. It's just practice. Oh my gosh. I did do the very classic COVID thing where I started making sourdough bread. Yes. <laughs> and it was awesome. so fun, but it does take like the whole day. <laughs> 48 hours of my life. Like, the process itself is, you know, every hour, it's like you do a little fold, but it's just, I got to be there all day, and it was crazy, so. I, I want to say I got to wait that, till Sunday. <laughs> like, I understand that I personally, because I'm an optimist, and this is a genetic thing. I didn't, like, I think you can develop it, but you kind of come with a certain disposition, mm -hmm. right? I remember the good things so much better than I remember the bad things in my life. And other people have the other, uh, the opposite problem, right? And that some of it's just genetic and it is what it is. But the pandemic, there were a lot of wonderful things that came out of that time period, like the fact that we all were sharing bread recipes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really wholesome moment. Right, in my right. life. People like, were out here handing out like 150-year-old sourdough yeah, starter like from their bread. Yeah. And I was like, this is okay. It was yeah. the sisterhood of the traveling yeast. Yeah, it was it crazy. Was it was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> Look at our community coming together. Aww. <laughs> Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, <laughs> the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Vettler. With me today in the SCP studio, I, I changed my buttons. <laughs> changed my buttons. I'm not quite sure. There we go. She's a longtime member of the Johnson County Tractor and Farm Implement Club. It's MD PhD student Riley B. and Bush. Absolutely, I am. <laughs> He's treasurer of the Eastern Iowa Pork Tenderloin as Big as Your Head Society. It's M2 Jeff Goddard. Get that point. <laughs> Get that one. She's just joined the Midwestern Society for People Who Refuse to Pass Even When There's Plenty of Room. It's M2 Yumi Engelking. And she's the founding and only member of the Organization for People Who Love a Good Fish Fry Fundraiser. It's M3 Betty, too. Yeah, I, these are all, I'm trying to touch on aspects of Midwestern. Is there existence. a state fair theme? Uh, yeah, it could all be that. I think, you know, the fish fry thing. There's a lot of fish fry fundraisers in 
the Midwest in March, like I, it, all the time. I, well, not all the time, but you know they're spread okay. out. Anyway, point is, I hate catfish. I think they taste like dirt. <laughs> I think they taste like sediment from the river in which they came. How do you feel about the McDonald's fish sandwich? Never had it. That's my favorite. I don't like fish. Really, it's the filet fish. Yeah, that's my favorite. I get it all the time, and I feel. I think I've heard that it's one of the worst selling sandwiches that they have. Mm-hmm. So I will say, since you are a member of the mm, tractor something, I did see the other day at Walmart a tractor, big green, stereotypical tractor. The thing in your mind that you're picturing, it was that. Pulling a mobile home that was parked in the Walmart parking lot. Yeah, yeah. And then the guy went into the store. And I just, the most Midwest thing I've ever seen in my life. I I went to a party the other day where that featured many teenage children lounging around on those giant circular hay bales. Oh, wow. I mean, and I felt like, and there was, you know, I felt like that was the most Iowa Did thing you have seen. to say yeehaw? Because I don't I, know if I could have kept there's it There's no yeehaw in Iowa. doesn't yeehaw. <laughs> Come on. I spent two summers working for a aforementioned big green tractor company. Oh, really? I did. This is pre-med Riley. And... Doing what? I was a summer intern. I was an engineering intern for Big Green Tractor Company. She was making those Big Green Tractors. No, I was... And greener. I was working on aluminum welding with robots and also product sustainability. And I did a lot of mental gymnastics trying to tell myself, like, agriculture is my passion and my love. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Iowa. I was like, I'm Iowa girl through and through. It just, it didn't stick. You went through a lot to get to this, right? Because you were like, I'm I'm a farm girl or something. She's like, gaslighting yourself. She's like, corn. I'm a tractor engineer. I'm a biomedical engineer. Now you're a medical student. I've been all over the place. Jesus Christ. The amount of lives I've lived for like the many the years that i've lived is too many (laughs) well i'm glad to have you here no matter what it is that you wanted to do or will do in the future i don't care but uh, this week i thought we would talk a little bit about the sound of empathy i actually didn't write a a intro to this part of the thing so i'm gonna make it up and we'll see how that goes (laughs) i thought you were just gonna be like segways are weird I mean, <laughs> this is the new segue. Have a paragraph here. It's not what I intend to say. There, Actually, I, I, I screwed up. Basically, is what I'm saying. And just let us figure out what you meant by sound of empathy. So, so there's been there's been some things in the news in the past. I would say year or so. I guess now eight months of physicians using AI to help them be more empathetic. Okay. Okay. So you, let's say you wanted to tell a patient that they were ugly. And you wouldn't say this, but you let's say that's what you wanted to do. You put that into the AI of your choice, and the AI will say something like, I don't think you should say that to a patient. Here's what I would say instead. And so empathy AI? Yes. Well, it, I it mean, is aimed pathetic. on text, okay. and they're trained. We would call them large language models. Yes, large Perfect. language models. And so they're predicting what the best word is. And somehow that means... Having been trained on the internet, I don't really understand why this is true, but somehow that means that the sentences that you get out of these things tend to be relatively empathetic, which is weird. I think what happened, this is just... I'd love to hear your speculation. This is my pitch. Somebody at one of these AI companies said, here's the internet. Don't do that. (laughs) If... Don't. (laughs) That was the command. If then, yeah. If... This don't <laughs> just, just don't. 
So I was, you know, sitting at home the other night, giving this a try and hoping that there was something here. And I think there might be. So let's try this. What I want you to do is I'm going to give you a blunt, it's something that could be said bluntly to a student or a patient or somebody in healthcare or whatever, and see if you can do better working together than the AI. So we'll start off with your thing that you want, your thing that you want to say. You can discuss it together and come up with a thing that you want to say. And then we'll see what the AI that I used, which is Claude, one of the several large language models out there, we'll see if it does better and we'll, we'll compare and contrast. How about that? Cool. All right, let's try this one. How should a doctor tell a patient that they need to lose weight? Don't, because it's not medically necessary. Oh, okay. okay. That's not we don't know I, the context. That's not, you're just a doctor trying to. You've decided. You've determined that for their health, they should lose weight. Okay. And you could say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a pitch. Yeah. So orthopedics, they have really bad knees. Okay. They weigh, let's say, double the weight for their age group yes. and size that you would expect them to weigh, and they're putting a lot of strain on those yes. knees, and you're concerned that they will have to have procedures done if they don't lose weight. This there is fair go. context. Okay. This, this I'm is, just trying, thank I you for the context. context in order to give this pitch. <laughs> Love <Okay>. this. <laughs> Who's got thoughts? I mean, I feel like with any of these conversations, it's always important to start by asking what the patient or the other person understands. I just had a patient today who lost maybe 50 or 60 pounds over the last few years, and their kidney function has improved significantly over that time. I mean, there might have been other factors, but we do know that fat or obesity, these things are related to worse outcomes in various things, kidney disease, liver disease, and that losing weight is really helpful for health. So, I mean, for this patient this morning that I saw, it was kind of an easy conversation. It's like, look, you lost a bunch of weight. You're healthier. You enjoy life. Your kidney function is great. Let's keep doing that. Or we see why that's important for people who are not there yet. Maybe first assessing where they are with that idea. Okay. I like that. So where? So trying to figure out whether or not they're ready to have that conversation. Basically. Right. Yeah. Great. What's next? Riley has feelings and thoughts. and I, I have so many, and yeah. I my brain is, like, exploding, but yeah. I'm trying to kind of distill it down into, like, an yeah. actual kind of, like, piece. Just don't get any on the microphone, please. Because <laughs> I think this is a really, I mean, they're probably all sensitive topics, which is, like, why we're doing this. But the weight in particular, and I think that one of the best ways that I've heard doctors talk about kind of the need to lose weight First of all, they acknowledged kind of the like why behind it. So we just mentioned like maybe some of the like science, but I think ultimately like the science is not going to be the motivating factor for people. So maybe kind of going into kind of what has been your experience with weight loss in the past? What has worked and not worked for you? And you got to have a big acknowledgement of like why that is such a tough ask for you as a doctor to tell someone to go and do, because it is not just, it's not an easy feat. Most people who try to lose weight will end up regaining it, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the best things that I've ever heard a doctor who's talked to someone about this is a major acknowledgement that like, I understand that this is tough and I want to find a way together of really actionable steps that can take us to where we need to go. Okay. 
Love that. So kind of becoming a team in the process. Okay, I'm going to make a pet training. Go. I'm going to just refer to them as patient. That's their name. So patient. Mr. Patient. Mr. Patient. We have talked about this aspect of your health. One of the things that we would like to address in order to improve your health in this area is your weight. And I understand that has been a challenge in the past to try to maintain that or to get that lower. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a plan to see what has gone wrong in the past and try to find something that's more personal for you. I'd also like to have a conversation. We're going to make a plan for why we're doing this so that you have something to look forward to. I know you've talked about spending more time with your grandkids. I personally have a lot of really good memories of my grandfather taking me on hikes when I was a kid, just, you know, around the park or like little short hikes. If that's something that you're that you want to work towards, I think that will help you. That way it's not just about this homework that I'm giving you, this burden that is losing weight. You have something to look forward to. And this number. Yeah. That you have. It's not about the number. It's about what you can do with your body. And in this situation, the weight is prohibiting the things that you're able to do. I want to address that with you. Okay. All right. That's my pitch. Anything else? Yes. I was kind of thinking, because right now we have, I feel like we have kind of very arbitrary, like uh, like a BMI, all those things are kind of like mm-hmm. very arbitrary standard of what was obesity, what was not. But as I, because I am Asian and then like my body kind of like smaller and in my country we does use kind of like different standard compared to the international standard. So I do feel like it's, to me, I will definitely feel I want to prioritize what the patient are feeling about the weight because like even if they're like over the standard of obesity maybe they feel great maybe they feel like they can still do a lot of things they enjoy to do but like what Jeff like talk about I agree like I think what I would do would probably would start with like how you are feeling and then what like what would be something you enjoy to do and what was bothering you right now like maybe you you used to love to like go for a bike and but you were not able to do so so much lately and then you quality of you feel like that has been impact the quality of your life and instead of just thinking about oh i need to meet this arbitrary mark like i need to get like a certain bmi numbers and those are not like as important because our body is all different and then the way really impact each one of us differently okay I like all of this. This all sounds pretty good. Should we see what the... Uh, Let's see what Claude has to say. Let's see what the AI has Jean-Claude. to say. Jean-Claude. Here's how I tell a patient to lose weight. I've reviewed your health records and test results, and I'm concerned about some of your recent weight gain. I know losing weight can be challenging, but I think it would really help improve your overall health if we work on a plan to help you get back to a healthier weight. I'm here to support you in any way I can. Maybe we could start by discussing some lifestyle changes or other steps that could help. The most important thing is that we address this issue compassionately, with your health as the top priority. What are your thoughts on how we can work on this together? Okay, so there's a little of what you said in there. And, you know, probably, I don't know, what's your, what are your thoughts about what the AI said? I really like that last sentence about, or that last question, what are your thoughts about what we can do to address this together? Right, so I that's think. what getting to working together and you know where are you at sort of starting that conversation you guys went way deeper into it than i think that i mean this is like an initial thing that you might say and i don't know if this is a good thing to say or not really but this is like an initial thing that you might say and then you guys were getting into the you know 
Yeah. Understanding your patient, understanding what they might feel before you start having that. I feel like I would, the like caveat that I would put on just like using this kind of AI stuff is like humans know. I mean, we have enough scientific knowledge to recognize that like there are going to be some times that doctors are going to tell people to lose weight and it's not going to be necessary. Like it is not. So I think that weight loss, people jump to it really quickly and they think losing weight equals better health. Sure. We have a lot of knowledge now to know that more body mass does not equal worse health outcomes. It is very individualistic. And if we really wanted a good idea, we'd have to like understand someone's inflammatory state, et cetera. And so that's where this like bothers me is that I not bothers me. I think it could do a better job and a caveat, which is that you might think, oh, my attending's telling me you got to have a conversation with this person about losing weight when it's just like maybe that conversation is not necessary. And that's where this like, even bringing that up, I think, could lead to problems. I think so. Yes. And <laughs> this is I, an improv show. I think that it is fair to say that anybody or a lot of people that have worked in healthcare over a long period of time, we can also pick out situations where the weight was certainly a concern. Right. So I, I do think that perhaps there are cases where doctors are suggesting weight loss and maybe it's not necessary. And there are situations where it needs to be addressed. And it goes back to any type of test. I mean, we're running algorithms in our brain all the time, right? We just don't call it that. Do we want more false negatives or false positives? And we're always going to err one way or the other, right? In fact, we're probably going to have a little bit of both. But if we have zero false negatives, that might be a problem, right? So that means that we're missing some people somewhere. So I would suggest that that's a hard algorithm to run in our head. But... More to the point, I guess, of what this exercise is about. I would say that's maybe an 80%. I'd give that an 80%. I would like to add one line to it that I think would help a lot. Okay. Which is just at the very beginning, asking the patient, is it okay if we talk about weight? Okay. Yeah. That's is right. it like letting them have that wall, that barrier, whether it is some degree of kind of disordered eating that they've had in the past, giving them an out to be like, I understand that my weight is an issue. These are the steps I'm taking toward it. And a full conversation right now might not be the best use of our time. Like giving them that option of like, maybe. Sure. And I wanted to add one thing. It was like, I totally agree with what Riley said. Like other thing is definitely absolutely necessary to like talk to patient if it's okay to talk about weight. But I would also like to add a little bit background information and in talking about why he wanted to talk about weight mm-hmm. instead of I'm concerned with, you know, the weight loss. I mean, the weight gain that you have recently because maybe the patient have diabetes or whatever reason to make the physician concerned about the weight gain and that should be the focus rather than That's just the, the weight, weight gain. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so one, one would assume that in this case, in this generic case, there was a reason. I think that it it's a compassionate assumption that the doctor has a reason for bringing this up, right? So the reason why I gave it an 80% is because I'm going to go ahead and say that a lot of doctors, when they have the time and they have the energy and they have the the mental faculties to have these healthy conversations, they're going to do way better. But also, a doctor who was on a 24-hour shift who has seen 18 patients today or super behind on their clinical schedule or whatever yeah or has a medical student following them around that is making their work harder today (laughs) for whatever reason this medical student is extra difficult right maybe there's some problems at home and they're just they have they're human beings there's a good chance that even just this i'm a 
how I'm imagining this situation is a doctor's walking down the hall. He knows this patient. He knows what the conversation is going towards because he's reviewed the chart and he just types that into Claude. He has it in his head, like headphones, and he just listens to their response real quick just to give him some ideas. Like, this is how I kind of want to frame this conversation. Right. In that situation, I can see where it would be incredibly helpful because doctors have a lot going on. And sometimes empathy does take the back seat because they've just got to get some information across I, and they've got six other patients waiting. I think what you're saying is it's helpful <clears throat> to sort of pre-process these ideas and this is one way you could do it. Yeah, and I think this would be an excellent primer. I mean, it's a great outline. This is gonna, this is it's a great yeah. outline for the conversation. Yeah. This, is a con- this is a conversation you're going to have a lot. Yeah. And so if you start somewhere rather than just like cold turkey, like I don't know what I'm going to say. I mean, you know, you guys get all kinds of practice about conversations like this, I would imagine, but I just think it's a cool thing to to sort of use to get you started thinking about these conversations. That you're I'm impressed that it could do even that. So. I mean, it's not bad. Yeah. Let's try another one. You guys know we talked about this, I think, with people in this room before, except for you, Betty. How should a resident tell a medical student that they are too quiet? Yes. We're going to call them Student X. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we make I, I up need, a name? Okay, Jerry. Okay, Jerry. Jerry is the medical student. Jerry. Jerry. Speak up, Jerry. All right, Jerry. So I've noticed on this last rounding that you weren't making yourself heard very well. And I want you to work on that, not necessarily because it's bad to be absorbing information, but you will learn more if you're able to engage. And I can judge more where you're at if you're talking to me, if you're asking questions, if you're saying things. That way I can help you in your learning process. And I want to make sure that you're learning. So, and if, you know, there's some kind of, reason why you don't feel like you can speak up please let me know so that we can address that all right that is an excellent start i think anything else we want to add to that i was actually receiving the comment from my facilitator because i was kind of quiet and then but i found that that so the comment he gave me it was like hey yumi i found that you are actually very knowledgeable that i would really love to see you spoke up spoke out more so i feel like founding the shining part of the student and made them feel like hey, your opinion are value, and I want to hear you more. That was just very encouraging, and to me, it's very warm heart. Like, okay, yeah. it's just really sweet. Yeah. So that was going to be my suggestion, so I'm glad that it actually was helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I, yeah, I feel like the other one, and this kind of goes with what Jeff was saying, is maybe just, like, making sure that the environment is set up in a place where, like, the student feels comfortable to speak up. So, like... So when it, you're going to have that conversation, make yeah, sure you're in the right yes. location. And I might even say, like, if I was the facilitator, I might say, what did we call the student? Jerry. Jerry, I understand this can be a really scary environment. There's a lot of people around, and you're still learning. So you might only be 65% confident in your answer. I was there. I remember all the times that I gave an answer that absolutely was not right. And while it hurt in the moment, I turned around and I tried again the next time. And so it really stings for a moment. But know that if you quote unquote fail or give a wrong answer, it's not a big deal at all. And it will be really helpful because you'll be able to learn and move on from it. So acknowledging you've been through it. And also we we learn better like they've done some studies on this we learn better when we do give the wrong answers Mm -hmm. and just waiting for somebody else to give us the right answer are we assuming that jerry is not confident a little bit that's why i asked my question i want to know why you know maybe it's because he got pimped really bad yesterday and now he doesn't want to talk anymore maybe somebody maybe he doesn't care maybe he doesn't care maybe he is checked out maybe he's what he's really trying to say is i have to do the selective or maybe he's just quiet 
Yeah, yeah. So maybe he's anxious. Social anxiety is right. a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? No, not really. Oh. I think that it's really important to ask why, though. That would yeah. be the first thing yeah. that I would go to. Yeah. Well, shall we hear what good old Claude had to say? Yeah, Resident Claude. What Here you we got? go, Resident Claude. Here's how I tell a medical student they are too quiet. I've noticed you tend to be on the quieter side during rounds and patient consultations. I understand it can be intimidating as a student to speak up, but I want to encourage you to share your thoughts and questions more often. We really value your perspective and getting you actively engaged in discussions is an important part of your learning. Perhaps we could set a goal for you to ask at least two questions or provide input during each patient encounter. I'm happy to give you feedback and coaching to help bring you out of your shell more. The team is here to support you, so don't be afraid to speak up. With practice, I'm confident your confidence will grow. Confident your confidence will grow. Betty, you've been on, you've had resident conversations before. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of this response? Well, and just as we were talking about right before this, I guess that what is this, Claude? Claude yeah. has assumed that the reason why the student is not speaking up is because they are not confident about right. their answers. That may not necessarily be true. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, I like the idea of setting a goal if being Yeah, I thought not that was a good thing, too. Like, yeah. hey, let's set a reasonable goal for you during these conversations. Yeah, or like, maybe I want to hear you, I want to hear one question, two questions during rounds today. Maybe not one for every patient, but... Things like that, or you know, things that we can talk about later. Okay, love that. I think it'd be reasonable to. I'm just going back to the answer again. Using this as a primer, I think would be really good. I think this one, I like less as a primer because it does kind of pigeonhole you into this idea. It's priming you for the idea they're not confident. That's the problem. Instead of maybe they just don't talk that much. I have so, I went to South Africa this summer and I was doing a lot of rounding there. And they kept asking me, like, well, do you have any questions? And sometimes I just go into like absorption mode, you know? And I'm just like, I don't have any questions. I just want to watch. I just want to hear. I want to sure. absorb. Sure. And sometimes because of that, I can get pretty quiet, which I know doesn't jive with my personality that I've given on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> but it's true. So, yeah. So maybe it's not a confidence thing. So figuring that out. And I would hate to use this as a primer and just make an assumption and just yeah. jump there, yeah. you know? Yeah, all of these things come with like 10,000 more questions about context. Yeah. Uh, it's like, was the student awesome yesterday or like a little more loud yesterday and today they're quiet? So on and so forth. So yeah. I think asking the primer is like key. Yeah. You know what? I've, I, I think Jeff, you probably, you've, we've talked about how we use AI in these yeah. situations. And I think one of the interesting things about this is okay, the AI has given you this response. You can then sort of ask questions like, well, what if they're not confident? And then they would say, you're right. And then it says, often says, you're right, let's try this again. And they would add that to the thing. You know, like, I, I think that any of these responses, yeah, you're right, brings up more questions, which you should ask. Shortcoats, we love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Let's try another one. How should... A let's see, how should a pre-health academic advisor tell a prospective student that they are not cut out for medical school? <laughs> Never? <laughs> no, I no. I'm, no I'll sorry, that I'll, was my I'll, first. I disagree. There are definitely students. You that, guys all that, that don't belong. I hope you're watching school. us on YouTube, listeners, because you guys all got this look on your face like. Yeah. <laughs> No, I agree. I, there I are probably yeah. you shouldn't go into medicine unless you are 100 percent sure. Yeah, it, that. But how can you be sure? Not belonging in medicine is not 
like a moral failure you know like just because like there are plenty of people that are going to plenty of other fields that are having fulfilled lives that don't belong in medicine they're doing great they're contributing to society they're happy yeah whatever but i do think it's fair to say that there are some people that are, are trying to get into medical school that don't belong in medicine it's just not their field that's okay but we, what, what would are, those situations be are like, we making assumption like great like what are we i guess we have yeah we have, to, we have to create our own we context. have to create our own context yeah, yeah. this is a so student. let's create the context of their they don't have a 4.0 i'm so fearful their mcat of, is not i'm so fearful you know, of hurting someone's feelings 520 i mean let's just say their academic standing is not is it's below it's, it's not, below what they have, might look, want. look listeners i don't i hope i'm not triggering you with this question but the truth is like a bunch of people are below average a yeah. bunch of people are above average <laughs> that's, that's why we that's why we have all an average i mean that's a thing you know and i will tell you that and maybe there are people listening right now who have had this feedback from an academic advisor there are people who will tell you i don't think you should go to medical school and they are wrong there are people who have been on this podcast as medical students who have been told that clearly we disagree here at the carver college of medicine so when an academic pre-health academic advisor says you're not cut out for medical school think carefully about that they may be wrong so they may also be right have any of you seen the live action alice in wonderland with that guy's name that everybody likes johnny depp no i think calling johnny depp the guy that everybody likes is a, <laughs> I guess that's is a bit thing. of a stretch yeah. right 10 years ago everybody liked him. I was like, everybody know. likes i don't know chris hemsworth johnny depp it's fair before My they bad. got to know him My bad. Um, who's gosh i this is alan rickman oh. plays ah. the snape. yeah snape i was actually thinking my head snape, snape. what's his name <laughs> alan rickman plays the Words are hard. Caterpillar. And he has a moment where Alice is supposed to... Okay, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it. Alice is supposed to be some kind of prophetic figure in this world that she has fallen into, right? So she is supposed to be the Alice, right? And the Caterpillar tells her, you aren't hardly Alice. And by the end of the movie, she becomes Alice. She has to grow into herself. And this is kind of what I'm thinking. There are definitely situations where I could imagine myself telling people, and I think I have told people that you are not the person you you are not right now cut out for this okay that doesn't mean that you can't get there sure but what you have to offer right now there's a lot of growth that you're going to have to go through that's okay i took several years off during in between finishing my undergrad because i had a lot of growth so this isn't like a i'm not better than you for this i had to do it do the same thing i think that it's entirely fair to say some to somebody you and the person that you are now is not does not belong in medicine if you want to work on yourself, you can become a person that can belong in medicine if that's important to you. If staying the person you are right now is more important to you for whatever reason, that's okay too. You're just not going to fit medicine. That's okay. okay. So my objection to that is that, well, I think what you're talking about is personality. In part, right? So for example, I have a hard time with jumping through hoops as it were. There are a lot of hoops to get into medicine. And there were, there are, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of hoops game. yet ahead of me that I will have to jump through. And I had to do a lot of work on figuring out some, a lot of introspection on how important is it for me to get to my goal and to feel comfortable giving up some of that resistance to hoop jumping to, to be able to fit at least partly 
to be able to get to those orbs. Like, I'm still myself. I haven't changed drastically as yeah. a person, but I have been able to control myself enough that I can jump through those hoops instead of just saying, those hoops are dumb and going off doing my own thing. I think my problem, I think, yeah, that's totally true. I mean... <laughs> He's like, yes, you are really bad at this. No, I, I think it's totally true. I think my problem with the responses, I was coming at this from, you know, an academic advisor relationship where pretty much what they know is your grades and your yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, and, you I know, mean, what is I've the Carver seen... College of Medicine? You know, what's their median? You know, all that kind of stuff. I think from a student perspective, though, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but like the pre-meds that I know that I remember thinking, bro, you're just not really cut out for medicine. It's usually a personality thing. Like yeah. they, they have a really hard time working with other people. They have a really hard time accepting feedback. Okay. They have a really hard time seeing anybody else in the room as important or as smart as they are. These are all things that are going to make it very challenging to thrive in medicine as a field or in medical school generally. I've seen some of my classmates that have gotten here and you can tell that they're still working on those things. Yeah. And I'm thrilled that they're working on them, so I'm happy about it. But We're all those, growing. Those We're all learning. We're all changing. Yeah, like I, I guess for me, I, I very rarely saw somebody that I was like, you're just not smart enough. Okay. You know? And, and maybe you guys have had different experiences. I don't know. I don't know. I did have an academic advisor that like kind of pushed me away from medicine. And I don't remember quite what they said, but I do remember like that was a conversation. We talked about it before. I did. I like worked in engineering. Like I was not a pre-med. Like all, for all intents and purposes, they're looking at my application or they're looking at my portfolio junior year and they're like, so you've worked two summers in engineering, no shadowing, no volunteering, no nothing. And I think that like maybe that jades me from it, but but you said it was just that like precipice, that like little push that I needed to say like, you're not the person you need to be right now. And I kind of changed that the last two years, yeah. but I wouldn't say it was empathetic. So I'm trying to figure out the way that I would empathetically say this for academics. Cause it, is it true that people that are not getting the grades that they might want to get into medical school are they making that decision on their own or how often is it that an academic advisor is telling them? My, actually, I don't know. My guess is that like what happens of... is you go to your academic advisor and you say, you know, I want to get into medicine. They're like, well, let's take a look at your grades and your scores and all that kind of stuff. And they look at them and they're like, well, it's, you know, it's lower than average. It's, you know, I mean, schools don't publish their cutoffs for any of these things or even if they have cutoffs i mean that's just not a thing that schools do so there's really not much of a way that an academic advisor could know you're not cut out for medical school unless you're you know you got 2.0s all through school and you got a i don't know seven on your MCAT. you know like that's pretty obvious but <laughs> so that's my that's what i think probably happened and honestly i would say that a lot of the times you need somebody from the outside to say something because I mean, we know what the median MCAT score is and the median NCAT score is significantly lower than what most programs are comfortable with, which means a lot of people are taking the MCAT and getting terrible scores for applying, either because they just didn't know, they go in blind, and I can totally understand that. My first practice test, I it was bad. But for whatever reason, they don't understand the game. And so they're going and they're making an effort and they're just not there and they need somebody else to say like you, you got to figure something else out because what you're doing you're not going to get there you're not the person with this score with this gpa to get there we can find the resources to help you get there but you're just not there right now yeah so what do we think we should say to the student i have a thought i mean i think 
ultimately you come in, you have that little spiel about your grades are not there, et cetera, for medical school, like whatever it may be, or PA school or whatever school you're going into. And so I think then you might say, why do you want to go into like medical school? Like what about medical school really draws you? So then you can start to have this conversation less about like you are failing at this thing, but more so a redirection of your goals. Why do you want to go into medical school? Is it to help people via healthcare? Well, okay. Like you kind of start narrowing down. Plenty of opportunities to do Plenty of opportunities to do the, like do you just love science and like the problem solving aspect? That's awesome. Like let's funnel you toward these things starting to ask those questions to make sure that like is medical school really the end goal and for a lot of people it just isn't and you can really achieve your goals in some other way odds are if a student is not achieving kind of maybe the grades that they might want in order to go to medical school Maybe they're not as passionate about the classes that they're taking, the material they've had to do. And so maybe there would be a field that they're like, oh, I love biology, but like I hated physics. Let's do biology. Let's do science. Like, let's go into that field. And so I think starting to ask that question of like, not just you're not going to medical school, stop, but more so, okay, let's talk about like, what are your dreams and aspirations? Not just job wise, but what do you want to do? All right, let's I, see. Okay, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, I do think that there are definitely people who say they want to go to medical school who may not have the grades to go to medical school right now or have that sort of competitive application who, where medical school may not be the best path for them. And I, I understand that. But then there are people who maybe their grades aren't really good because they have a lot of social things to worry about. They have families to take care of. They have jobs to work. They don't have the time, even if they're passionate. So they don't fit the usual mold of the undergraduate 18 to 22 year old who has whose entire job, whose entire life is... It's school. School. Yeah. yeah. Fair. And we have totally people fair. like that. And maybe they're really passionate about medicine and maybe that is the thing they want to do. I have not met anybody who really want who with that motivation of wanting to get into medical school or PA school or dental school or any other school, if they have that motivation, but they don't maybe have that the grades, there are so many other things that they can do to, that they can work on to make themselves competitive and maybe that'll take time and maybe that's just what it's going to have to take. But you know, it's, it's important to convey that maybe even as the academic advisor to convey that it might take more time. We need to work on the things that you're passionate about that would make you stand out among some other people because the grades might not be that, but that's okay. Okay. And, well, and I think like a good story is would be really helpful. So maybe saying to them, I'm going to, you're going to be Tom. I'm just coming up. You get the Tom Jerry. and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, Jerry again. <laughs> Tom and Jerry. <laughs> there was a connection there. See, Tom and Jerry kids is a show from a very long time yeah, ago. Yeah, that's... So Tom, I'm looking over at your transcript here. I'm looking over at your portfolio. And I just, I feel like right now you're not a very competitive a- a- applicant for medical school. You're not there yet we should probably have a conversation about why this goal is so important to you. Why do you feel like you really need okay. to go into medicine? There might be another path. There might We might change the end goal. We might change how we're going to get there, but we need to do something different because what you're doing right now, it looks like it's causing you a lot of stress and a lot of grief, and it's not getting you closer to your goal. 
So we're going to have to change some things up to help you get where it is that you inevitably are going to end up somewhere good. In the interest of time, we're going to jump right to Claude's academic advisor, Claude's response. Let's are we ready? Claude. Here's how I would tell an applicant that they are not cut out for medical school. I understand your dream is to go to medical school, and I want to help you find the best path to achieve your goals. Looking at your academic performance so far and talking with you about your interests, I do have some concerns about whether medical school is the right fit for you at this time. I'm happy to look at options and steps we could take to strengthen your application, but I also think it's important we explore other healthcare careers that may align better with your skills and passions. My goal is to support you in finding a meaningful career that plays to your strengths. What are your thoughts on exploring some alternate paths, at least as backups? I'm here to help guide you in figuring out your next steps. What do we think? I think just like what everybody, like what we previously already talked about, I think in this, I think it's a pretty good start, but also I feel like it really kind of like just only focus on academic performance rather than really to trying to get to know about a student, like what was their life story, what makes them get there, Good and point, why, yeah. why they want to go into medicine. Yeah. I think having that drive is very important. Even the student don't performing, you know, while in academic, like a, even they don't have a perfect academic record, and that is completely okay. Like, it, like in my personal cases, I didn't start learning English until I was 20 or something because I just immigrated just immigrate to this new country and then of course my transcript like would doesn't look good and of and I did fail a couple of classes but that ever my academic advisor didn't take that into consideration didn't consider my background or just consider oh she doesn't have a good grade and then she is you know medical school wouldn't consider her and to me that's just like didn't really then my advisor just didn't really like care about only care about my transcript my grace but in fact even for the admission like in many medical school they don't just care about grace they want to see a personal statement why is that important they want to hear your voices why you want to go to medical school sure. it is important and not just great they, why they want to see like research volunteer a lot of other stuff because you Maybe you are weak in one area, but maybe you are strong in other area. Maybe you have something you are very passionate about. I think just like it is a good start, but I do feel like it's missing a lot of the things there. Okay. So we sixty percent, seventy percent, forty percent. I actually, I, I maybe I'm biased against myself. I liked it more than I liked what I said. So. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, actually, Yumi and I are a part of a student organization here at the Carver College of Medicine. It's called First Gen Low Income in Medicine, FGLI Med. And our goal in this student organization is to advocate and support undergraduate students who want to go into healthcare. We support our fellow students who are first who identify as first gen and low income and we just want to how do you describe it, Yumi? We want to advocate for and be mentors for people who may not know where they want to go or how they want to get there i think this is yeah this is a wonderful thing i think what i know i feel like what i know is that when you're a first generation student of any sort it's really hard to see yourself doing something if you don't see other people like you doing that yeah and a lot of the time you don't even know what you don't know and that's where 
I mean, I hate to say knowing, you know, it's about the people that you know, but sometimes it is. Somebody can help guide you there. I totally agree. And especially it can be a very intimidating process because like since no one in your family knowing the process and you have to figure the whole process yourself. Yeah. Like, and the process is, yeah, like you said, it's very intimidating. It's very it is. long. It's There are, I don't know, tips and tricks that you might not get if you don't know. But it was just, I was talking to my, my daughter's girlfriend last night and she was talking about how she had no idea what to do when going into college because people in her family did you know she had no idea about the resources or the opportunities or what she was even supposed to do those kind of things can trip you up i really like the idea of helping people i remember applying to college well one i didn't know how to apply to college yeah and no concept of how to do this i learned about the pell grant like that somebody else was casually talking about just by chance i didn't know that this was a thing so and medical school is even is much more expensive than undergrad, and uh, there are a lot more challenges to to figuring out both how to get into medical school and then the next step. So having it, it really is about how who you know because these are the people that are going to help you get where you want to go. Find the community of people that are looking out for you. So, so this is a new group. Yeah, in the yeah. last year. Do you have a web page or something you want to plug, or that would that people that would help people? We do have a website, I think, just with the Carver College of Medicine. Okay. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Though. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes if if yeah, you know be, of yeah. if you know of somebody who might benefit from this, or you yourself might benefit. Go to theshortcode.com and look for episode four seventy. I think you should be able to find it there, and then you can look for that link in the show notes. Okay, <laughs> let's try this question. Last question. How should a medical student tell a dean that he smells like rotten meat? Oh. Okay. I, this isn't, I will keep this anonymized. I've recently come across people who maybe stink a little bit. How do you, what do you say to them? You can't say anything. Sorry. No, it's not you, Dave. Okay. <laughs> but it's like, nobody can say anything if, I had in a COVID real a, world. I, I want you to know that I, this is maybe too much information. I had COVID a few weeks ago. And at the height of it, I smelled rank. <laughs> I didn't believe what was happening to my body. No, but it, that is a buffer. <laughs> like, are we supposed to be telling random That's people that they That's smell? Bummer. <laughs> That's a bummer, bro. Like, do we? Are we supposed to be telling people? This is a fear of mine. A fear of mine is that I stink, and none of my personal loved ones are telling me. I will play with the question, but honestly, though, are we telling people we don't know that well that they maybe smell? We're not, right? Um, okay, so this is a this okay. is a, my wife frequently asks me uh, if she needs to shower. This okay. is a, this is this is a thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and I have to be honest with her because I need her to trust me. Yes. right. I need to have that vulnerable conversation with her. So if she's got some bo, you know, she's exercising or something. And it's like, no, yeah, I think you're gonna need to shower. And sometimes it's like, no, like, but she's asking for. Yeah, she's asking, yes. right? Yeah, <laughs> but that's why I think about this. So I have a mutation in the ABC11 gene, which for the kids at home, <clears throat> I don't produce body odor. That's this, cool. What a fun fact! All it? of the deodorant savings. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I thought people were just being dramatic. I was like, we still sweat. So I do sweat. Okay. Yeah, I just I don't produce a specific enzyme, which is what ba- the bacteria in your armpits are going to use to create what we call bo. Right? Interesting. Okay. But it doesn't mean that I don't smell bad after I exercise sometimes. But it's a different. It's not the same experience. So what you imagine in your brain is bo. I don't have that problem. I'm going to have other problems, right? Like if I eat garlic, my wife's like, mm, your breath smells. You should probably brush your teeth before you go to that meeting. And I'm like, thank you, dear. So I think about these things quite a bit now because of this, right? Yeah. There's a level of vulnerability that's necessary to have this conversation, but also they deserve to know. 
right? Yes. Because everybody around them is having a worse impression of them because of this. So if it's somebody who is in a position of power above me and I don't have a close relationship with them, I'm going to find one of their coworkers. I'm going to find somebody that is considered their peer and I'm going to say, hey, I've noticed this about them. I don't know if it's a health thing. I don't know if they just haven't noticed, but they're going to have a better interaction with the people around them if you can help them address this. And I know that I'm not close enough to them to do that. That's how I would do it because they deserve that. I would love for somebody that I care about to tell me if there's something about me that I can address that's causing problems for other people. Okay, fair enough. Love this. That makes a lot of sense. You're locked in a room with the dean for a week. <laughs> and you cannot get out until you address You've got all of the necessary hygiene supplies to fix this. You know, like all this kind of stuff. How do you bring up the subject? You're sharing a room. You're sharing a hotel room at a conference. <laughs> Okay, that's different. For Shame. Reasons? You go, what is that? Does somebody leave eggs in here? Like, you, should, <laughs> you try to get it out of him. Look, okay, if I'm sharing a room with somebody, we are officially already close enough for me to have this conversation. Yeah. It is done. I don't I, think this is a common experience for you to share the room with a dean at a conference. It is not. It is 100% not. <laughs> Having gone to conferences, this is not a thing. But if I'm sharing a room with somebody, I'm going to point out, you know, like, hey, I've, so, I, you know, I kind of smell something. Did you, maybe, I don't know if you need to brush your teeth or something. Yeah. I'm going to say that. And it might not go well for me, but I can't imagine it going bad. Like they're gonna, they're gonna be grateful that they've addressed this problem. They're gonna be embarrassed. One would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I just want this person, this dean, to acknowledge it themselves. I feel like this is not the most empathetic way. This is like literally me as a human. Like, what would I do? And I'd be like, "Gosh, do I smell?" And then like you'd hope that they'd be like, "No, you don't smell as me." I don't think You're no one's trying to use like that. the whole mirror. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> no. I feel like I am never going to have this conversation with anybody who is not like in my home, like living with me in my home. This is not going to. This is not a conversation I'm going to have with anybody. There's like a circle of about ten people in my life that I would have this conversation with, and it's like my family, my best friends, and the social, family. the social fear that's coupled with this. I wasn't raised right. I'm getting, that's what I'm learning right now. No, maybe your solution is way better, you know, but, you know, oh boy, I'm, yeah. I just, I remember a story my friend's mom had told us when I was a kid that she was at work and her boss came in and he had this like really big booger hanging out of his nose and he's like talking about reports and then he like leaves her office and then he busts back in. He goes, you're not a true friend. (laughs) It was a piece of oatmeal that he had planted to test her. (laughs) Oh my God. And that story stuck with me. Like, I like, so now what if I'm around somebody who's like had a bunch of garlic and I'm like, are they testing me? Cause like, I'm going to be a true friend right now. I'm going to point this out for them. <laughs> Sorry, but, Katie. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was thinking about like the like a bo is some. Sometimes I think about it as something like a person cannot control, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that they decide to have this. If we can make a choice, which is you know, I would love not to have this in my life at all. But that's nothing like you know, you have a burger on your face or something. You, you know, it was easy for you to wipe it off. But for bo, for some people, even after taking a shower, this can still have very strong bo and. I think that was the situation that if I don't know the situation, if I don't understand, maybe the person already taking shower, if I know they're taking two, three times shower, I probably wouldn't say anything. But if they just, if the BO comes from because they just don't take a shower at all for like a week straight, then I probably would bring out this conversation just for their benefit, for their health, right? Like, all right. So what are we going to say? I mean, I guess the yeah. consensus is that there isn't, there may not be a way for this conversation to go well necessarily, but to be the most empathetic, 
I mean, I guess what I would do is start with an I statement. I've noticed that you smell like sweat or something like that. Okay. Well, what was the actual thing that you said? Pork chops? Rotten meat. Rotten um, meat. Maybe not that part. But <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to try this one with a with an extreme with a rather extreme yeah. Yeah. problem. I like I like Betty's I like Betty's yeah. answer here. I've the noticed. And I'm, then oh I always t- default to asking or like inviting the conversation and seeing if the person's okay with it. Can we talk about it? Okay. Right. Yeah. Or how about this? Just a pitch. I've noticed the strong smell. Is this something that I can help you address? You know, is it like maybe it's the shirt? I can help you, but we can go find a new shirt for you. You know, if we're at a conference, say, sure, sure. right? Yeah. I don't know what's causing a rotten meat smell. Yeah. I All feel right. like you, yeah, you could also just be like, I'd hate for this to be something that, like, I would want someone to tell me this yeah. about myself. Or like, kind of I recognizing. I don't want you to think about this all weekend. I, yeah. I want to help you address this. Yes. What can we do, Dean, to make sure that we're helping you get through this? I think we got there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's yeah. see. Betty let's... coming in with a strong, yeah. actual, empathetic statement. Yeah. I love that. Let's see what uh, medical student Claude has to say. Here's how I would tell a dean that he smells like <laughs> rotten meat. Dean, I wanted to discreetly let you know that I and a few other students have noticed a persistent unpleasant odor, perhaps related to body odor or hygiene issues. We know bringing this up may be uncomfortable, but the smell can be very distracting during lectures and close interactions. We care about having a positive learning environment. Would you be open to feedback on this issue? Perhaps there are some medical or personal factors contributing to the problem. Or if not, we wonder if you could be more attentive to hygiene habits. We intend this with utmost respect and only to help resolve the situation discreetly. Please let us know if there is any way we can assist or connect you with resources to address the odor problem. I do. There's you know so many, so so many an anonymous yeah, email. There we some go. Some of those statements, I was like, yeah. And then the next statement, I'd be like, no. <laughs> I agree with 90% of what you I said. I didn't probably, we can just completely cut that part out because, like, that is so much assumption just you, made there. Oh, my God. You're not contributing to a positive alert. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Uh, okay. Thanks. I was Thanks really for happy. That with, one, yeah, I was really happy with that response. But I am happy is asking, like, if you're open to discuss this. Yes. Like, I think that is good. Yeah. I just can imagine, though, if I said all that. Well, not that specific one, but Betty's more empathetic statement. And then asked, are you open to talking about this? And they were just like, no. I'd be like, no, it's not going to room. Well, I'm, I'll be down at the front desk looking for another hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> this that, I A funny story about that. I was on, I was sharing a room with someone because I was on a bachelor party and I was like, I love to listen to a sound machine at night. Are you okay if I play this sound machine? This person. What do you mean by sound machine? Like a rain, oh, white noise. Whale noises, Sorry, like a white know? noise in the background. <laughs> yeah. Very basic, as if a fan was on. Okay. This person looks me dead in the eyes from the East Coast, just goes, no. I was like, I thought she was joking. I was like, and then she was like, yeah, no, I don't want it. I was like, okay. And then I slept in silence. And I, you don't know what to say when people just like shut I, down like that. But I respected it. I was again, like, I asked the question. Again, the social horror of saying no to you would make me say yes, even if I truly was like, no. But I'm glad she said no, because she didn't want it. Then I'm sad. Because I wanted it. But yeah, this is something that, like, my my family and I, we've worked on a lot, and by my family, me, my wife, and my son, we're an ask culture, so that we can be honest with each other. Yeah. I cannot trust that my child is always going to be honest with me, unless I'm going to always be honest with him. With the exceptions of, like, Santa, you know? I need him to feel comfortable asking me a question and getting the actual answer. Like, 
you know what? I'm just, I'm not really feeling like going jumping on the trampoline right now. Give me 30 minutes and I'll get there. But I'm not going to like pretend that I'm there and then like give a lackluster performance. Okay. On the trampoline, okay. You know? Yeah. I same, agree with same that. Same thing with this. Like yeah. I want somebody to say, no, I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. Instead of just being mad at me all night and then, you know, potentially yeah. da- damaging the relationship. You know? It's like I'm trying to be good. Trying to be good. And then I was like, okay, that's an answer. And yeah. I will take it. I love that you asked. That's very interesting. I try to always yeah. ask. Can you imagine if but... you, like, you get in the car and, you're, and somebody's like, do you mind if I put on just enter your least favorite music like edm or whatever yeah. it is right <laughs> i think like, this 20 hour trip to maine sure. uh, yes. that we're driving how about some death metal yeah, yeah and you just said i guess sure i'm not gonna spend 20 hours to maine and listening to death metal <laughs> i would lose my mind that's and me with true crime and it would be my fault yeah same can't do true, I crime. do true crime i was like crime. i'm gonna be anxious like you're asking me to like actively put myself in an anxious state and i'm yeah. gonna do it no yeah and I like them enough that I'm not going to do that to them. I'm not going to ruin our relationship by saying yes. Okay. I'm learning boundaries. No. Okay. I'm learning yeah. boundaries. Fair. <laughs> well, I think Claude did okay. I, th- I think, uh, like we said, for to wrap this up, y'all are pretty good at talking these things through. Claude did okay. I don't know if Claude nailed that last one, but... You know what, though? I could still use that last one as a primer. I'm like, how in the world am I going to approach this team? Sure. Go through that and be like, not going to say not that. Not going to say that. I <laughs> use that. Still useful. Claude is teaching us how not to be. Yeah. Thank you, Claude. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. One thing that I think social media has become is a source of information about health. Sometimes that info is good, other times it is terrible. Jeff, last week we spoke to immunology and virology expert Paul Offit about vaccine information. You were there too, Riley. So if you haven't listened to that, short quotes, you should go back and listen to that. But there's so much more info out there, good and bad. Today, I thought we would react to some of the advice that I got from the clock app the app which must not be named oh yes <laughs> are we tempted to try them are they offering us good advice is it complete bullshit let's see i actually wrote out bs but i could not say bs i have to say bullshit <laughs> let's that word let's watch this this first one from clock app user er, your mom storing i don't know if that's how you say that or even if you should say that so my cousin has a sinus infection and we saw the tiktok about putting garlic in your nose (laughs) so we're gonna try it you can't smell it do you have covid (laughs) yeah get up in there girl putting the garlic up in her nose i like i I think this is wise i like the uh, the strings or the roots on the end so that you can (laughs) the current situation yeah for people who can't see we have two cloves of garlic in each one in each nostril You about to sneeze, bro? Bless you. You stole it. You're not running down my face. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Ah! Wipe it! A big string of snot. I don't oh like Why would you do this to us, Dave? Okay, 20 minutes is a long time. How do you feel after doing this? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you breathe? Barely. Do you think it worked? A little bit. My nose burned. I think. What's it smell like in there? Nothing. I think my nose burned is a clue that maybe you shouldn't do that. 
I don't know. People like putting all for all kinds of capsaicin in their food. So some people are also into that. true. Also, I just don't like a burning. Like I, I like a burning nose sensation much less than I like a burning mouth sensation. <laughs> I'll take neither. I, well, I'm, <laughs> if I can. Are you, are you yes, not into spicy? I'm just not. It's okay, not for me. That's fair. This one feels unnecessary when there's like the neti pot in existence. I, neti pots scare me though. Oh, I've never done one also because they scare me. Christine, but does, my wife does it all the time and she people, swears by There are some neti pot lovers. She swears by it. And she does the right thing. She boils the water and all this yeah. stuff so she doesn't get some okay. sort of infection or whatever. So, okay, I know what this is. You ready? Yeah. We have distilled water. They ha- we have in our society a certain subgroup that believe that they have a bias toward what is natural. Yes. They feel in their heart of hearts that if there is a natural remedy that is morally best or maybe even biologically best. Sorry, YouTubers, I forgot to switch the camera. That is not necessarily the case, but they do have this bias. And so they're going to, if there's a root that they can shove up their nose or a garlic, which I guess is a root (laughs) they can shove up their nose, they're going to do that before they do something like, I don't know, a nasal spray, because in their mind, they have that bias. I'm not saying that they're bad people. That it's not necessarily grounded in reality at all times. Sometimes the natural remedy might be the best thing. Sometimes it may not, right? But, like, we can't just assume that it's always going to be the case. In fact, fun fact for all those kids out there, most medicines come from things in nature. We just distilled it so that it can be more potent. But it's chemicals. It's the same ingredient that we got from the plant. Anyway, so knowing that, just use the medicine, guys. Don't shove garlic up your nose. It's weird. <laughs> All right, let's try this one. I will Nothing say, though, in my say. family, we do. So I have a Latino family. We do definitely eat, like, spicy soup when we're stuffed. And that's just because it heats up your head. I think that's, you, yeah. You just You're eating something. Yeah. That's fine. You're, like, using the proper orifice for the yeah, proper I'm, thing. Yeah, I'm hydrating. I'm getting I'm, calories in yeah. me. Some sodium <laughs> also. Yeah. So, I feel like it's, like, problems. not that. Like... <clears throat> What's the worst that happens? I mean, the worst that happens is probably like it gets lodged in your nose. I feel like that is. I'll give it a four out of ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think that it is genuinely. I don't think that it's really helping any. Correct. But it is also probably not causing any kind of real harm. Yeah. Unless it gets stuck up there. This is not real medical knowledge. Do we have to say that? Yeah. I I think people know. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's try this one. I recently learned a technique on how to get high the natural way. I tried it myself, it does work, and you can try it and let me know if it works for you. What you need to do on either thumb, you stimulate the nail bed for 10 seconds, and after that, press and hold firmly on both sides of the nail for 30 to 60 seconds. This will help release endorphin in your brain and you will get a feeling of high. Like I said, I tried it myself. It does work. It's a neat hack. And you try it and let me know if it works for you. I like that disclaimer that popped up at the end. This is not, not, medical. <laughs> not medical advice. I, I did just try it for the first time. I did not try it before and? showing this to you. And it's doing nothing for me. There's maybe something I'm to just be said not, for the placebo effect. I mean, maybe I'm just not the kind of person who's... Maybe my thumbs aren't connected to my brain in that way. Your body does respond to nerve stimulation by releasing endorphins. This sure. Is, this is a natural pain response. Yeah. Hence the euphoria. That's. I don't a, know that I've ever gotten euphoria from endorphins. <laughs> I mean, I used to... Believe it or not, I did used to run. And, you know, there was some enjoyment in that. But I... 
never got euphoric about it. I guess, yeah, d- defining euphoria in a medical context, like we do technically use that. We'll, we use that as a yeah. descriptor for a patient. I don't know what that is, but I know what I feel when I run and it feels pretty freaking great. Okay. You've never Big seen fan. me running down the street listening to Dance the Night Away from the new Barbie movie. Um, I am... I'm jazzed. Yeah. I will sing and I will dance on a run, and that's when I know the endorphins have hit. But that only lasts, like, on a four mile run, that's like only from mile two and a half to three and a half, and then it's a slog. From <laughs> like, there's a, there's a window of time until it hurts. I should. Because then I'm away from home. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, I'll just move in here, I guess. Well, yeah. that's an insolvable problem. I, I feel like all of these, like, TikTok things are people like, it's a natural way, and it's. Like it's not gonna do you any harm, but it's also not gonna do anything. And I think that's how they get you in. This is a cult. This is how they get you in the cult, as we've talked about. Yeah. This is the entry point, which is like it doesn't. It's not gonna do you wrong. And then you click like on it, and then the clock app shows you like more videos like that. Yeah. And then suddenly you're. You can doing... tell. You can tell that it's. I will use the term cultish yes. from a book that Riley suggested to me that I thought was phenomenal by the language. Yeah. And the thing, the identifier here is natural. If they always have to say, it's the natural thing, it's the natural thing, it's the natural thing. They're trying to push an agenda. And I'm not saying that agenda is inherently harmful, but it's also not necessarily beneficial. And I think it becomes harmful if you think that natural always is going to be better. There is no, quote unquote, natural cure for, say, leukemia. It's going to be something that you think is very unnatural, which is convincing your immune system to attack your cells. Right? So. I, Governor, I... I want to. I, I want right to. I have a recommendation for somebody that you could follow on the Clock app, which is my good friend Jeff, here, who is using the Clock app to ed- educate people on lots of different things, medical and scientific topics. And, and I try my uh, best. Yeah. I think I. I enjoy. I enjoy that. No, Governor. No state devices were used to <laughs> discover that. Okay. I will say. I want to add just one thing before yeah. we move on. Natural allopathic medicine whatever the divide is i will say that there's a lot in medicine that we know and there's a lot that we don't know there are a lot of whatever words you want to put on it traditional medicine herbal medicine remedies whatever that we don't know at this point will hurt or harm you that doesn't mean they couldn't help you but we don't know that in the science that we have right now and i think that gap in knowledge is something that's important too acknowledge yeah and I, and I think that our bias so I, well i mean personally i recognize that i have a strong bias toward what i am more confident will help you you know so i'm not saying that these other things won't but i you know i can refer to these studies and i have a bias towards i've seen the data i've seen the science so i feel very comfortable with this if somebody hasn't done a study towards something that doesn't mean it doesn't work like you said and frankly if i could bottle up the placebo effect and just give it to everybody for everything i certainly would like it it's actually super beneficial, but that's my bias. It's not against things that are quote unquote natural. It's just that I want to see the data. My and bias is using flonase and not garlic. So. <laughs> but I think that's important though. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of things you don't know and a lot in that world. And that's what it's hard to get through the weeds. Like there's a lot of great stuff and then some yeah, and people like, that take that and run with if it. If it's actually helping you and it's not causing you harm, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? If you're just like, when I get sick, I drink this tea, and all of a sudden I don't have the flu anymore. If if that seems to work for you, and it actually is working for you, drink your tea, girl. Let's try this one. 
So I've been talking to my friends about how we pee like 12 to 15 times a day, realizing that is not normal. One of my friends was like, I only go like three to four times. And I'm like, imagine a world where you're only going three to four times. You don't have to waste half your day. If you are having problems peeing all the time, this is the holy grail. One pinch of pink Himalayan salt and trace mineral drops. When I tell you my life has changed, I've been going only seven times. I just cut my numbers in half. I'm a little concerned. Okay. I'm a little concerned. I immediately want to suggest that she go see a medical professional. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, I'm not even a doctor. I'm not even a medical student. I was like, are you diabetic? Like, is there something wrong with your kidneys? Yeah. That, we, that you need It's to weird that we're coming at this from like, God, like I'm peeing too much. Like... I, I mean, yeah, she is peeing too much. I mean, like, uh, how many times this a day? This is true, do, though. Do you guys this know how fair. many times a day people pee? I no. don't know. Can I just go ahead and say real quick, though? Yeah. I mean, up in the top corner, she's drinking a gallon of water a day. I would Wait, probably pee a lot. Did you see that? Did yeah, you it said sexy yeah. tips for the gallon, yeah. <laughs> one gallon of water challenge or whatever. Oh, so I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I didn't even read that. I actually made one of these clock yeah. videos on this specific subject. You don't need to be drinking a gallon of water a day. Your body will tell you when you're thirsty. Almost always, trust your kidneys. Yeah, if you're drinking that much water, I would probably pee you yeah. know, 14 times a day. I could see where that would come in. I think there, she's like, oh, now I'm preventing myself. But, from peeing but notice her solution. Is that a good thing? Notice her solution. It's solutes, right? She's putting salt in her body, which is yeah. to balance out the fact that she, you know. Yeah. I would say you probably don't need to drink a gallon of water and also having a little bit more salt and mineral, not too much. I'm not talking salty water. Like I'm saying a pinch of salt and some minerals is probably necessary based on the way most people but she's eat. Yeah. So the, what you're, you're saying is, I was worried about diabetes, but what you're saying is, because that makes people pee a lot. What right? I'm saying is so that adding salt in water is like it's like drinking a gatorade it does actually help you be more hydrated and you also shouldn't drink a gallon of just like but what i'm hearing from you water. is that she is over consuming water and then yes. compensating for that in some way by taking an extra salt correct yeah and you would run into that problem if you that's one of the problems that we have with people that are urinating too much is they're losing a lot of their solutes right they're losing a lot of their minerals so yeah if you're peeing that much probably because you're drinking that much water you're probably kind of low on the minerals you need to do your daily functions getting a little bit of sodium or magnesium back into you probably a good call i think the real solution here is to stop drinking a gallon of water but if you're going to keep doing that at least put some salts in you so right. reasonable fair enough let's try this one cut my pee time in half <laughs> <laughs> that's the seller <laughs> Uh. Strange, but true health tricks are. If you've been shedding a lot, sweating a lot, tired and achy, or sad and depressed, could be low on vitamin D. Try this. Go outside or sun behind a window for 10 minutes each day. People are like plants. That's false. That is just straight up false. As a vitamin D person, not true. You can't get it through this window. Yeah, it sure. <laughs> Do you know windows have like UV blockers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right, right. trying even to suggest that humans are not like plants. <clears throat> I didn't want to. I didn't want to come out like Straw this. Man I, di I didn't want this to be my coming out. But yeah, it's, I am saying humans are not like plants. There yeah. are fundamental differences between human and plants. I'm comfortable saying that. But well, we here. do get vitamin D from as a certified pale person. Yes, you get it from the sun. Most people need way more sun than they need or than they get. Can't get it through the window. Yeah, I'm take a pill. I was gonna get a little bit more complicated than that, but yeah, let's just say 
sure you get vitamin e from the sun it's yeah well how much more complicated can we get <laughs> well you're not actually getting vitamin d from the sun it's just the uv uh, sure okay yeah the light from the sun is helping your body convert it into a usable form in your body you look up at the sun you're like oh, i got some vitamin d in my eye oh. <laughs> i saw a meme the other day was like i don't understand vitamins i get them from bananas but also from the sun yeah sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is fair you're not getting it from the sun but windows there's a reason we don't get burnt inside i didn't even think of that i was kind of looking at this when i was watching this in my i knew that but i didn't put it together yeah like i was thinking oh yeah okay this is great i thought she was gonna like throw a supplement at me and like you need to you know take this supplement that i'm hawking but instead she was like get some sunlight yeah get the ultimate supplement the sun the sun (laughs) so okay i'm gonna make a pitch here though if you do stand in the window for 10 minutes a day a lot of those things will improve why why might that be what's the mechanism because your mood improves because you're i don't know yeah yeah it's having actual sunlight especially entering your eyeballs this is one of the reasons why seasonal depressive disorder is such a thing is it has more to do with the photons that are getting into your eyes and you're regulating your circadian rhythm than it has to do with, you know, actually getting... So that takes care of the depression issue, but not necessarily the hair falling Yeah, I'm not saying it's the only thing. Like, you definitely still need to get, like, vitamin D process, that whole thing. But I'm saying that getting more sunlight into your body is a good idea. Standing in the sun is good. If you ever want a a wacky argument on both sides, go down, like, the vitamin D truther versus sunscreen truther world. That sounds like just the worst. There's a lot going on. I I did make a video about sunscreen trying to help people, like, you know, not get skin cancer. And I had some weird people coming out and I was like... Oh no, I'm not having this conversation. I can't. The people who are like, oh, sunscreen is chemicals and then yeah, it's like bad I, for you. I, and I, in good faith, I made another video in response and then just like comment after comment. I'm like, okay, so you're. Just remember, feeding the algorithm, Jeff. Yeah, Bring you're just on. on the other side of this. Yeah, and I can't do the that. ones that hate sunscreen are also the ones that, in order to get vitamin D, they are going spread eagle nude in the backyard trying oh, yeah, to get like their. Uh, sunning their buttholes. Yeah. Sunning their buttholes. <laughs> what is that called? There's a term There's for a it. There's a term for it. I don't yeah. know. I can't remember. We talked about it it's on the show cheeky. once. cheeky. Yeah. Cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That and the red light people. The red, red light. light truther. Yeah. People I shouldn't call them truthers. Just people even, who. Like, I don't even know what that one is. They're just like, like buy this expensive LED array that only emits red light and put it on your genitals or something like that, and you'll get more testosterone this is way worse on, than i thought it was gonna be put it on your hand put it on your head so you get more hair i tried to imagine a wild scenario involving red light and you just surpassed it <laughs> could not have guessed that well there is like a legitimate male birth control mechanism which is taking hot water and submerging sure. testicles in warmth like be- because, something because it, you elevate the temperature of your testicles exactly and that makes it which, not make sperm was i'm well. pretty sure people have made models of such a device and you could probably imagine what they might but I, I think the usual i don't think people are doing the that. red light on your hoo-ha is, is to increase testosterone so that you're more of an alpha male kind yeah of, kind of thing. i will go ahead and just throw this out there for those who are not aware Excess testosterone is also a health problem. What? You do not want that. What? So I'm just going to throw that out there. The do- It's a dose-dependent response? Crazy. Huh. <laughs> Turns out, like most things, there's a specific range that's good. Yeah. Okay. Non-monotonic distribution. Nobody needs to know that term, but I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> but Riley is very proud of it. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> very good. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's our show. Jeff, Riley, Yumi, Betty, thanks for being on the show with me today. Thanks. 
<laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> Loved it, Dave. <laughs> if, I, if I could, do you mind? If anybody has any of these questions, if you see any of these videos on some app that may or may not have something to do with the clock, feel free to shoot us a message. And yeah, would love to do yeah. these more of these. I like I these. think they're fun. Yeah. I think they're fun. And what kind of influencer would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Today's producer is me, Dave Etler. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government, an ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance.